How many of you believe that you're going to have an amazing time in the presence of God? And God is going to speak to us. Amen. Uh, last week, we were talking about the kingdom of light. And we were talking about how the life of Jesus that is in us has the capacity to become the light of the world. The life of Jesus that is in us has the capacity to become the light of the world. In Genesis chapter 1, when everything was dark and the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the earth, God said, let there be light. That light was not shining from a sun. It was not shining from a star. It was shining from him. It was Jesus who is the light of the world who was shining. Right? You and me have the same capacity to shine. Arise and shine, my friends, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen. Come on. Amen. Um, so we have the capacity to shine. We have the capacity to shine. Uh, and just continuing on that same topic, I want to talk about glory. Say with me, glory. Okay. Uh, because the kingdom that we are part of is the kingdom of glory. It's the kingdom of glory. In fact, Paul says like this, that we don't start from shame. We start from glory in Jesus. Okay? In Jesus, we start from one degree of glory and we are moving into another degree of glory. And we are moving into another degree of glory. The good news is, whatever stage you are at, there's always more. Right? You and me cannot know God enough. There's always more. Right? Uh, you know, when, when we are young, we think we know a lot. Right? And we think uh, our life is sorted and, you know, our theology is sorted, doctrine, man. We, we think so much that we know it all. But then as you get older, as you actually begin to know the Lord, you realize there's, there's so much more. Right? There's like an ocean of knowledge. Like no matter how much you take in the little bucket of yours, the mind of yours, there's always so much more. Amen? Right. So I want to talk to you about the kingdom of glory. And before I begin with the verses, I want you to understand glory. What's the definition of glory? Glory is the full expression of God's beauty, His excellence, and His value. Okay? What is Glory. Is the full expression of his beauty, excellence, and value. Glory defines, it, it gives us an idea of what the essence of God is. The essence of God is God's glory. Right? For example, you know, when, when we look at uh, the celebrities, right? There's some kind of glory that they carry. Right? Uh, or or a or, or our politicians or the people who are in power. There's some kind of glory that they walk in because it's the essence of who they are. It's the essence of the position that they have. It's the essence of who they have become, right? So the glory is the full expression of God's beauty. Full expression. His beauty, His excellence, and, you know, His infinite value that He has. So if you take a 100 rupee note from your wallet, the glory of that 100 rupee note is 100 rupees. That's why it's, it's the value, the value that carry. Now, when we are talking about the glory of God, we are talking about the glory of God. Huh? The psalmist says, no earth, no heavens can contain His glory. It's like, oh, immense glory, right? Think about it. 
No universes can contain his glory. But, Colossians 1 verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The heavens and the heavens cannot contain the glory of God, but somehow that glory is within you and me. That's the mystery. Paul is saying it's a mystery. I can't make sense of it. Universes can't host the presence of God, but you and me can. The glory of the Lord, which is infinite, which cannot be contained, which cannot be limited, somehow you and me have that glory. Right? So Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Just imagine with me, okay? Just imagine with me for a moment, okay? The whole universe. Okay, let's begin with Delhi, okay? Delhi is in India. India is in Asia. Good. Good going. Asia is in, is in the world. Earth, right? Let's come, come a little further. Earth is in the solar system. There's so many planets. Solar system is in Milky Way galaxy. Milky Way galaxy is in so many multiverses. The word says, Bible says, all of those multiverses cannot hold the glory of God. Just think about it. There's something about you and me that is created in the image of God so that we can carry His glory. Isn't it amazing? The gospel, the gospel is to reveal that glory that is in us. I know I'm jumping here, but let me just say this before I lose this momentum. That when an orange is crushed, orange juice comes out. When a Christian is crushed, Christ should come out. That's why Paul says, I am not perplexed. Why? Because even though I'm pressed down, I'm not crushed. Because even when it feels like death has surrounded me all throughout and it's choking me, what is coming out is the real life that is already deposited inside of me. The life of Christ. The hope of glory. Amen. So the glory is already within you. You don't need more glory. Okay? You don't need more glory. But what we need is to walk in much level of glory than we were walking in. So the glory that has already been, already been deposited inside, we have to recognize on how to release it. Release it through our life. And the only thing that is containing this glory, like it is containing the light and the life of Jesus. What is the thing that is containing it? That is stopping? What is the only hindrance? God's power to God's glory to God's life. What is the only hindrance? Hard-heartedness. That's it. That's it. Hard-heartedness. Okay? So I'm going to build this up. I'll show you something. Come with me to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. So the story is, Moses is coming down from Mount Sinai. He has the two tablets. This is the second time. That he's carrying the two tablets because the first time he broke all the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments at one go, 
right? Who was the first one to break all the Ten Commandments? Moses, okay? And in fact, if you read your Bible, God tells Moses, Moses, since you broke the Ten Commandments, okay, cut two tablets of stone so that I can write again. So what, what is happening here? Moses, if you read verse 28, it says, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He was with the Lord 40 days, 40 nights without eating and also not drinking. When you're with the Lord, you don't need to eat, you don't need to drink because he becomes your life. See, when Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, he's talking about a reality for each and every one of us. There is a reality in God where he becomes our very source of life that we don't really have to depend on the food and the drink that we need for our physical nourishment. There is a reality for us. I don't know if we have tapped into it, but I know that there's a reality. Moses tapped into that reality where he did not eat he did not drink, but he was with the Lord. Now what happened? Moses did not know, verse 29, that the skin of his face shone. Why did it shine? Because he had been talking with God. How many of you want to shine? You want to shine? You have to talk with God. Because the more time you spend in his presence, he is rubbing off on you. Right? And the more time you spend with him, Right? He keeps rubbing off on you. And then as you leave his presence also, you are carrying the essence of that glory with yourself. Take care. Now, verse 30. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come near him. There was a glory that was on Moses, right? And he is walking and they are afraid. They were scared. Okay, now read again, read ahead. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Verse 33, and when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. When he had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Verse 34, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil. So whenever Moses would go to God, he would remove the veil. But whenever he would come to his people, he would put the veil again. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded. So the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again. Until he went in to speak with God. I want you to imagine. Moses goes. Speaks with God. He comes back carrying glory. Whenever he comes back carrying glory. The people are afraid. People are scared. So what, did, what does he do? He puts a veil. When he puts a veil. He talks. When he is going towards the Lord. He takes off the veil. Whenever he comes to the people. He puts the veil again. Do you understand? Yeah, okay. Let me show you another passage. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Transfigured, the meaning of transfiguration is transformed, okay? Uh, but look at the extent of that transformation. Verse 3. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. He was so much transformed 
that it was too evident in the physical. It was not just, you know, spiritual transformation. You know, when you see somebody, you say, there's a glow on your face. And most, most of the time, it's just the shine of the lights. You know, we're not talking about that. This was so evident that even his clothes were shining. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. Verse 5. The awkward guy. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. Why did he say that? For he did not know what to say. Have you been in situations where you don't know what to say and whatever comes out of your mouth is stupid? Right? Peter. Right? For they were terrified. Verse 7. And a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. You know the story, right? Jesus has gone up the mountain. He is transfigured. Similar story like Moses, right? Peter, James, John, they're terrified. <laughs> and Peter just blurts it out because he does not like awkward silence. So he's like, Jesus, can we have three tens for you, Moses and Elijah? Right? But look at how the father is responding. He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You know what he's trying to say is, you cannot put my son at the same level as you put Moses and Elijah. Jesus, see, when you, when you read the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews again and again tells his audience, who is a Jewish audience, tells him again that Jesus is supreme. You cannot put him at the same level as you put your prophets. You cannot put him at the same level as you put Moses. You cannot put him at the same level as you have understood your angelic theology. You cannot put him at the same level because Jesus is supreme. Right? And God is saying, hey, you know what? I gave you Moses and Elijah and the prophets, but now I have given you the son. Don't put him at the same level. He is supreme. So he says, what does he say? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. But you know what's interesting to me? Moses and Jesus, similar experiences, similar shining, similar transformation. But look at the response. Come with me, verse 14. They were at the mountain, now they're coming down, verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. Verse 15. Immediately, say with me, and immediately all the crowd, not half the crowd, all the crowd, what did they do? When they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. This is what I want to show. Somehow, when Moses has an encounter with the Lord and he comes back, people are scared and people are running away. But somehow, when Jesus has an encounter, he's transfigured. It's similar experience, but when he comes, there's something about him that people were Man, I, I want to be with him. I don't care I'm a sinner. I don't care I'm broken. I don't feel condemned because I see him. There's a glory of the Lord that is not condemning too. When Moses carried the glory of the Lord, it was condemning them. It was condemning their hearts. So they were scared and they were afraid and they wanted to stay away. But when Jesus carried the glory, my goodness, people wanted to rush towards him. And they were like, man, who are you? We are amazed. Do you see that? Let me explain this from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 because Paul explains this very well. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 12 onwards. Since we have such a hope, 
What's the hope? The hope of glory, Christ, right? We have such a hope. We are very bold. Why? Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. What is Paul saying? That Moses had glory. Jesus also had glory. But the glory that Moses had was fading away. It was fading away. That's why he put a veil. See verse 14. But their minds were hard, hard, hardened. For to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because, say with me, only through Christ. Only through Christ is it taken away. Verse 15. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. See, Paul is using that analogy of veil. He's talking about that veil is the hard-heartedness. Only through Christ is that hard-heartedness taken away. Without Christ, you can go into the presence of God, but that hard-heartedness will not go. You need Christ for the hard-heartedness to go and behold the glory of God. See, that's why when, when Moses was so adamant, you know, Lord, I want to see you. God, I want to see you. I want to see your face. God was like, you can't see my face. You can't see my face. Because if you see my face, you will die. Because I'm so good and there's still some wickedness to be dealt in your heart that you experience so much of my goodness will kill you. You cannot. So what I'll do is I'll hide you behind the rock. Rock symbolizing Jesus. Hide you behind the rock and I'll pass by so that you can see my back. You can taste a glimpse. You can have a glimpse of my goodness. But you can't experience me in its fullness. Why? Because you need to see me through Christ. Because only through Christ, that glory, that glory that remains, you know, it doesn't condemn us. It kind of convinces us, hey, persuades us, hey, you know what? You don't have to struggle the way you've been struggling. You don't have to live your life the way you've been doing. You don't have to do your self-efforts. Trust me. Can I say something? Old covenant, new covenant, both are covenant with God. The only difference is in the old covenant, it requires your effort. In the new covenant, it, it requires the effort of Christ. New covenant is impossible, guys. It is impossible. It is not just difficult. It is impossible and only one person can do it and his name is Jesus and he has already done it. If you can believe in him, he can do it through you as well. So, Every word that you receive from this pulpit and you try to apply this in your life by your own strength, you're going to burn out. You're not just going to burn out. You will die doing it. That weight of that word will kill you. But if you look at the Lord, if you look towards the Lord, through Christ, all things are possible. See what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Can I tell you something? You know, we are, let's not divide ourselves based on theology. But let's ask ourselves the issue of the heart. The problem is not law and grace. The problem is not faith and grace. The problem is not uh, Protestant and, you know, whatever-ism, right? The problem is your heart, the condition of the heart. If the condition of the heart is, oh, I can do this, then you are going to be disappointed. 
But if the condition of the heart is, Father, I need you. Jesus, I need you. It is in my brokenness that you see the glory of the Lord. Are you hearing me? That's why Paul says, you know, that veil still remains unless we turn ourselves to the Lord. Verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. It doesn't matter. You, You can encounter grace as a concept. It doesn't matter. But your veil of the heart will only turn, will only be removed once you turn towards the Lord. You see the Lord. It is only through Christ, nothing else. Only through Christ. Verse 18, and we all with unveiled face, save unveiled face. How can you have unveiled face? Through Christ, right? So only through Christ you can have unveiled face. So if you look at God without Christ, you will always have that hard-heartedness. Are you hearing me? So unveiled face is through Christ. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul is saying, as you behold him through Christ, as you see him, what you see him will transform you. You become the same image that you see. It's like looking at a mirror. You look at a mirror, what do you see? You see your own reflection. So as you see God, this image that you that you are seeing, this, this body, this image begins to change, begins to transform. That's what Paul says, we are moving from one degree of glory to another. Our moving, our transformation, moving from one degree of glory to another depends on beholding from one degree of glory to another. Beholding God. Can I say this? What's the greatest hindrance to hearing God's word today? One of the greatest hindrances, yes, hard-heartedness, but one of the greatest is what you heard God yesterday. If you can move from that and today be like, God, yeah, I, I, it was an aha moment yesterday and I was crying and it was amazing and revelation and, you know, I was on in the seventh heaven and, you know, all of that. But today, today again, I need you. I'm broken. I need you. Every time we do that, my goodness. Amen. Can I show you one more verse? Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles 7. Because I, I want to touch one aspect of glory, which I think some of us may not like, but it's part of the process. Second Chronicles chapter 7. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So this is talking about when Solomon is dedicating the temple. Right? He's dedicating the temple and he makes a prayer. While he's finished with the prayer, fire comes down from heaven. This is not a metaphorical fire. It's real fire. Fire falls down from heaven. What happens? It consumes the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And then the glory of the Lord fills the temple. The glory of the Lord was so tangible that the priest could not enter the temple. It's verse 2. The glory of the Lord was so strong, was so intense that the priest could not enter the temple. Do you know what comes before the glory? The fire. And you know what attracts the fire? Your sacrifice. John 17 verse 1. When Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heavens and said, Father, 
the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. He's just making that prayer just before he gets crucified. He says, glorify your son. You want to walk in greater levels of glory? It requires greater sacrifices. That's the honest truth, guys. Paul says in Romans 12 verse 1, he says, I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to, your, to offer yourselves as, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable, and pleasing unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Glory does not happen before sacrifice. It is a sacrifice that invokes the fire of God. What do I mean by sacrifice? Your brokenness is the greatest sacrifice that you can offer to the Lord. Do you know what David says? Psalms uh, 51 verse 16, 17. He says, For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it to you. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Why? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. There is something about brokenness that invokes the power of God. There's something about brokenness that God gets attracted to. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, you know, it is in my weakness that your strength is perfected. There's something about your brokenness that attracts the power of God. He loves the brokenhearted. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's something about brokenness. I can't tell you guys. There's something about brokenness. God loves your brokenness. Your brokenness can be your greatest sacrifice that you can offer to the Lord. Especially in times when you can't make sense. You know, it's like da -da 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 -da. your mind is at, at such a speed and you can't make sense of what is going out. Just one cry out to the Lord. Oh Lord, have mercy upon me. Have mercy. Just that one prayer can invoke the glory of God. You know, these days I've been saying this prayer Psalms 139, verse 23, 24. And it's really speaking to me. That's why I want to share with you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. He's saying, Lord, search my heart. Search my heart. Search my mind. Because I, I know I'm not perfect. I know there's still stuff that I'm dealing with. I know there's still bitterness that I have to heal. There's still that jealousy and comparison. and So many heart issues that I have. But Lord, I ask you, search me. Search me. For if there is any grievous thing in me, lead me. Heal me. That attitude of brokenness. Sacrifice comes before glory. You know, God, our God is a consuming fire. I never used to preach on this, but <laughs> the Lord has his funny ways. God is a consuming fire. And when we offer our hearts, he can consume our hearts with his fire. So that anything that is not needed, which is not part of the kingdom, can be healed. See, a lot of things in our hearts has to die so that resurrection can happen in those dimensions. A lot of things. For resurrection to happen, something needs to die. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2.24, I am 
crucified with Christ. I am crucified. I'm living like a dead man walking. I'm not trusting my own strength, my own efforts. But the, li- the life that I live right now, I live trusting and believing in the life of Jesus. The calling that we have as Christians is to die. I'm not talking about physical death. Please understand what I'm saying. Circumcision of the heart. Circumcision of the heart. Where you can be like, God, God, consume me with your fire. Consume me with your fire. For I just don't want to be, I just don't want to have a good experience with you, but I want to be transformed. I just want, don't want to feel good in worship, but I really want to be transformed. Consume me, consume me, consume me. Change my mind, change my thoughts, change my hearts. Because only God can. And He can only do that when we give Him permission. Because He's gentle. My final verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful. Let us be what? Grateful. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. Let's just, to be in a better place, let's just assume that there are a lot of things in our lives that is shaking. And it is shaking because they are not part of the kingdom that is not meant to be shaken. And the things that are shaking needs to be consumed by the fire of the Lord. And once they're consumed by the fire of the Lord, we begin to experience the glory that God wants to reveal in us. Jesus said in John 15, you know, my father prunes and those that he prunes, they bear more fruit. Nobody likes pruning. Nobody likes, you know, these things to be shaken off. But when we can surrender to God, who is a consuming fire, You know why Paul says living sacrifices? Because sacrifices are not living. When when, when the sacrifice is laid on the altar, they they have already killed the animal and they've laid on the altar. He's talking about living sacrifices because he's talking about you and me because it is a choice that you and me have to make to lie on the altar and say, Father, burn me, consume me. It's a choice. Because when the heat when you start feeling the heat, there's always a choice that you can make to get out of the sacrifice, get out of the altar. It's a choice that you have to make. But Paul says, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Offer yourselves, consume, be consumed by God. Let the fire of God consume you today, consume you today so that anything that is not of God can be consumed. Anything that is not of the kingdom can be shaken and removed, can be pruned. How many of you have a desire? You know, I'm saying, just talk, let's just talk about a desire, a desire to be consumed by the Lord. A desire not to find a loophole in the Bible so that you can continue doing what you want to do. That was not prepared. I'm just saying this. I know somebody needs to hear this. Not to find a loophole in the Bible to continue living the way you want to do. But to come to that place where you're like, God, consume me with your fire. Consume me with your fires because I want to be transformed in your same image. How can you do that? 
how is it possible how do you how do you offer yourselves as living sacrifices how do you make yourself so wonderful that you know it just it feels so painful how can you go through that process there's only one key paul says therefore brothers by the mercies of god say with me by the mercies of god offer yourselves as living sacrifices you cannot offer yourselves as living sacrifices if you haven't seen the mercies of god if you're finding hard to worship god see his mercies if you're finding hard to give see his mercies if you're finding hard to become a blessing to somebody who has betrayed you see his mercy if you're finding hard to forgive someone see his mercy it is in the revelation of seeing his mercy that you offer yourselves as living sacrifice and you say father i trust you consume me i trust you consume me consume me how many of you want to be consumed by the fire of the lord come on just lift your hands lift your hands right now if you just want to surrender this is just the presence of god that can consume us the presence of god that can heal us the presence of god that can comfort us and restore us that the fire of god father we just pray that we want to move from one level of glory to another we don't want to stay satisfied in what we have learned so far and we want to move so that we can be transformed into your same image we don't want to be complacent we don't want to be comfortable where we are but we want to move to the next level of glory that you have for us and father i pray that you will consume us with your fire so that the things that are shaking in our life will be shaken off come on the things that are shaking in our life will be shaken off the things that are not meant of the kingdom will be shaken off so that we are pruned for your purposes we are pruned for your love we are pruned for your glory so that your glory is manifested through our lives like jesus prayed father glorify your son so that he may glorify you and father we pray glorify us so that we may glorify you everything that we do are being the 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 intention the motivation everything of our being glorifies you consume us with your fire consume us with your fire give us your mercies give us your mercies in jesus name we pray amen amen